Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Randy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Gang, the day this episode is coming out, that's Wednesday, July 24th. This is the last day to get a spot at the Uncharted Staff Drama Conference. It's August 21st through 24th in Kansas City. If you haven't gotten your spot, literally today is your last chance. Head over to UnchartedVet.com and grab it before you are out of time. And with that, let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me. And Steph, down, you're being too loud, goth. <laughs> How appropriate that one is for me, Andy. I love it. You need to calm down. It's not. No, it's not for you. It's about. It's about our topic of the day. I love it. I love it. I think we've got a really good episode um, or episodes in store with this one, right? Yeah, I think we're gonna do two episodes on this. So I think we're gonna hit this week, and then next week we're gonna do a little bit different. So um, let's lay out what we're talking about, and then we'll talk about the splitting up the two episodes. Sound good? Awesome. Yeah. Sounds Sweet. great. This. Uh, little missive comes from the facebook and we have a veterinarian who says who she said we had to turn away a client because i was totally overbooked the client came in today screaming at us that we can't be her vet because we couldn't see her right away when we need to stop seeing new and that we need to stop seeing new clients we've only been open for eight months I tried to tell her that the particular day we turned her away, I was slam busy, never took a break, not even for lunch, and was here until 9 p.m. that night, and it was literally impossible for me to see any more pets. All she could say was that we need to stop taking new clients. I even explained that we have 1,000 clients. Even if I stop seeing new ones, I can't see all 1,000 pets if they're all having emergencies on the same day. In the end... We just agreed to disagree, and I saw her uh, pet on emergency. God, people are hard sometimes. This is why I have a punching bag in the hospital, which I love <laughs> as well. Oh, man. I I love this one, and I think it stuck out um, for both of us, probably for some of the same reasons. Like, when I read this the first time, I immediately empathized with this vet because how many of us have had this client and this day where it's just absolutely batshit crazy and, you know, one more person wants to be added to the schedule and people have a hard time understanding when you have hit that point and you have to say no. Let let me stop right here and sing this vet's praises. Like, (laughs) good for you. Good for you to say, I literally cannot see any more pets. And mm-hmm. I understand you're upset. It is not going to happen today. And maybe she should have done it earlier. I don't know. The point is, in this instance, she looked, she said, I cannot do any more. I'm out. And mm-hmm. she took the consequences of that. Good for her. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. And she's exactly right. We don't do anybody any favors when we work beyond capacity. We do a crappy job for everybody else. At some point, this is how many pets that we can see. I have an article. It's one of my favorite things that I've written over the years. It's called, you can't see all the pets. 
And mm-hmm. I think we may pull that out and talk about it sometime. But man, I just want to say good for her. Mm-hmm. That's 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 boundaries. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it sounds like the other the other piece of it, um, when I read this was it sounded like she had um a really good um healthy engagement with the client. I mean, I know she was mad at it clearly ending with you know this is why I have a punching bag in the hospital like we we've all been there right it just it gets your dander up and you're so frustrated but it also sounds like she had a really productive um conversation with the client and sometimes you can have a productive conversation and yet it it ends in agreeing to disagree and so I think um bravo to you um for this veterinarian who who wrote this because it really says a lot that you um handled the conflict with the client um, well. And so when we were reading, when I read this the first time, there were two thoughts that stuck out in my in my mind. And you and I talked about this. And so I think we decided we're going to split this one really into two topics. And um, the first one is how do you handle confrontational clients? Um, and really physically, actually, how do you, how do you deal with that um, physically, uh, mentally, and emotionally? And then the other piece of it is when you have clients who maybe unlike this client um, are not willing to agree to disagree, how do you fire a client and how do you terminate a relationship, particularly for those clients that are combative or abusive towards you or your team, right? Right. So let's start off with dealing with uh, angry clients and then we'll talk about when do you part ways with clients next week and we'll decide uh, what criteria need to be met for that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So, um, you want to, you want to jump in? What were, what were your thoughts in terms of, um, kind of how to approach dealing with, um, a confrontational client like this? Well, I really like this example and that's, that's why we pulled it. I like this Mm -hmm. example because I think it's extremely common. Uh, it sounds like the veterinarian was making a very clear headed, rational, decision and enforcing boundaries and the client was upset about that which totally happens and it's also one of those things where we can empathize with the client if the client is concerned about their pet uh if you are their veterinarian and you're the only veterinarian they have and they feel like they need you and you say i can't see you i think that their position of being upset is a hundred percent uh rational you know, I, 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 let's not act like how dare she be upset because she couldn't get in. I, I think that we would all feel that way on certain days and who knows what's going on in her life. We have all been at a place where we would be really upset if we got that news given what had gone on in our day. Like we've all had that day and this is the last thing in the day and we are losing our mind. And so we feel frustrated. That's why I like this so much is I don't think anyone is completely out of left field in how they feel. Mm -hmm. And I also, going back to your point, I really like this because I think that this is a situation where sometimes when we deal with angry clients, we don't make them happy. And Mm -hmm. I, when I, whenever I teach dealing with angry clients and, and do it in a lecture, do it in a workshop, and I really enjoy that. I talk about people being upset on a spectrum and their spectrum to, I am losing my mind and all I want is to burn your vet clinic down angry. (laughs) Right. And then there's blissfully happy. 
And you may never, and in a lot of cases, you're not going to take someone from burn the vet clinic down angry to blissfully happy. That's probably unrealistic expectation in a lot of cases. Sometimes you can, and you should aim for that. But I think we need to accept that our goal in engaging upset clients is not necessarily to make them blissfully happy. It's to move them along that spectrum towards blissfully happy as far as we can get. We may end up with them going away and grumbling, but if they go away and grumble because we engage with them, instead of writing Yelp and Google reviews slamming us in the public, if we hadn't engaged with them or if we engage with them poorly, then that's a win. Mm -hmm. The big Mm -hmm. things that we look for with angry clients and addressing angry clients are word of mouth likelihood. Can I, if they had a bad experience, if they're upset, can I decrease the number of people that they want to tell that experience to? That's number one. Number two is, is valence. This is like potency. Um, if they're mad, how mad are they? If they're going to say bad stuff, how bad is the stuff that they're going to say? Is it, you're an idiot if you ever go to this vet. This vet is horrible. They're a monster. Or is it, yeah, you know, I don't know. I've had mixed emotions. Um, you know, I've, I've had good experiences and not such good experiences. Nobody aspires to either of those things. But I tell you, I would sure rather have an angry person say the second thing as opposed to saying the first thing. And so sometimes it's, it, that's valence. That's a difference in the potency or the toxicity of what they say. And the last one is intention to repurchase. Can I retain this person as a client? Can I, I may not make them happy today, but can I make them happy enough that they'll come back in and give us another shot? Mm-hmm. And then I can start rebuilding that bridge and rebuilding that trust. And maybe they'll be in a better mood or they'll have a better day next time they come in. And maybe we won't be slammed with emergencies next time. And we can start to re-indoctrinate them into our practice culture. So really, those are the realistic goals of dealing with angry clients. And of course, I hope that I crush it and I turn a one star into a five star. And that can definitely happen. And we have all probably done that. And there are ways to do it. We're going to talk about those. But I love reasonable expectations because it helps us be fair to ourselves and Mm -hmm. not go away and feel like crap because we agreed to disagree. Because sometimes that is the best possible outcome with Mm -hmm. the person we're dealing with today. Yeah, for sure. And and I I think that um, I... I love that you said the idea is to kind of um, flow them through um, so that hopefully you get to a point where there is some sort of resolution, even if the resolution is agreeing that you're on different pages and how you're going to move forward because you can't make everybody happy. But I know that um, I had the same kind of thoughts as you, which is that, um, you know, there is there is a perspective, there is a there is the point that they are standing in and the place where their shoes are. And you have to be willing to put yourself in their shoes and let them feel heard. There, there's always at least two sides to every story. And honestly, the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. And so they have a right to to feel heard. And oftentimes in, in my experience as a practice manager, like the biggest thing for a lot of these clients is that they just want to be heard. And so I think that um, 
even when there has been bad behavior on our part, we screwed something up, um, we failed the client in some way. And in this example, that that isn't the case. But a lot of the times we dropped the ball somewhere. Someone was supposed to call a client back or we were supposed to ask a doctor a question and it never happened. Or, um, you know, one of a thousand things that can kind of happen in the course of an insanely busy day, like it's like it sounds like in this example, the bad behaviors need to be addressed on our part. They also need to be addressed on the part of the client. And so if you have a client who is ranting and raving in your lobby and being abusive to your staff, those bad behaviors also need to be addressed, but it doesn't negate their experience in any way or the need for them to feel heard. And so I think that's why it's really important to try and approach um, approach things, like you said, um, and try and work clients through from where they are and at least talk them down the scale. You may never get them from, you know, raging in your lobby angry to, you know, they're your biggest promoter on Facebook, but you can move them hopefully away from raging in your lobby. And if you can't, then how do you deal with it at that point? Because you can't live with that on an ongoing basis. Right. So I, I think... For me, the thing that stuck out when we first started talking about this was one of the t um, tools that I first learned, um, not in the veterinary industry, but outside of the veterinary industry, um, was kind of the method or model for how to deal with angry clients. Because I think you have to, um, you have to have some sort of process in, even if it's just in your mind, for how to try and get them to walk along that path with you. Do you have any thoughts? Definitely. Um, I, I do. You know, it's funny. I was thinking back on all the podcasts that we've done so far. And we've been at this like six months now. We've got almost, we're coming up on 30, 30 episodes. The process that you and I, I think fall into again and again and again. And it's a great process. I like it. I think maybe we should just crystallize it. The first thing we do is talk about headspace. Like get it. Like, and this is, again, this is no matter what your business problem, your management problem, you have to get into the right headspace. And then you talk about strategy and then you talk about tactics. Like, what does this look like on the ground? And that is how we run all of our podcasts. Honestly, that fall into that pathway. And so you talk about strategy and tactics for working with angry clients. And, and I love that the, you and I use, uh, we use two different systems that get us to the same place, I think, but those are the tactics. I, I want to unpack the, the headspace a little bit more before we go into it. Cause you talked about it as well as uh, we should empathize with this client and we've all to support what you said. We've all had those experiences where we have made a mistake or, or the client's experience has not been great or right or what we want it to be. So if they end up waiting in the waiting room for 45 minutes, you might say, I didn't make a mistake. We just had three different emergencies come in on top of us and that was the outcome. But it wasn't we did anything wrong. It's just reality. The client's experience was not what it should have been. Still, we can understand where the client is coming from that does not justify them losing their minds and throwing the dog treat jar across the waiting room and, um, you know, breaking a window on their way out. Like we've all had those experiences where you say, I see where they were coming from as far as that not being an ideal situation, <laughs> but they really did not handle that appropriately. And that's not okay. So let's get into the, into the headspace a little bit. The things I just want to put on the table, whenever we deal with angry clients, hurt people, hurt people. Okay. Mm. Hurt people, hurt people. 
And a lot of times when people are really, if they are really nasty to you, if they are really blowing up in the clinic, it's not because of you. This is not because of anything that you did. You're, you're not a villain and they're aiming it right at you and they're looking at your face and they're, and their face is red and they're saying, I, you're such an idiot. I can't believe and you did this and you did that. And it is this direct attack upon you. It helps me to know that the people who act that way are hurt people. They are damaged people. They are people who are struggling. And uh, there's a, I've heard it said, people who can't transform anger, transfer it. Meaning if they can't accept the anger they have in themselves and, uh, and process it, then they have to transfer that anger to someone else you know, and, and point it as, as a cannon. Hurt people hurt people. If you're dealing with uh, a, a client who is being irrational or is just being wildly nasty, this is probably someone who's hurting. And that helps me to find a place of empathy even when I'm being attacked. And so I like to just, just put that up up front. The other thing I like, and this is just really good headspace for me when I'm dealing with angry clients, I have to push away the notion of right and wrong. When I get in, I don't mean push away ethics. What I'm saying is if I get into the headspace of tracking who is right here and who is wrong here, that's an unproductive place for me to be. So let's go to our example. Let's say that everything ran as well as it could run on the veterinarian side of this example. She's in the right and the client who is screaming and furious is they're wrong. I don't agree with the, the customer is always right. I think customers should always be respected. I think they should be listened to. They should be heard. They should be celebrated be, because they are the people who pay our salaries and who keep us in business. Um, I, I think all of those things are true. That doesn't mean they're always right. And so let's say that you're the veterinarian in this situation and you say, I did everything that I could and I bent over backwards to take care of the emergencies coming in. And now you're screaming at me. I am the virtuous one here. I am in the right. You are in the wrong. I think that that may be 100% true. I also think it's 100% unproductive in communicating with this client. That mentality is 100% understandable. It is not going to help you reduce the likelihood of negative word of mouth, the potency of what that person says when they leave your practice or increase your ability to get them back as a client so that you can work with them and rebuild that trust bridge. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that I'm right. You're wrong. Mentality is helpful. It is. This is where we are. Let's figure out how to go forward productively. Mm -hmm. And it, I can think about I'm right. And I think it's good to say, did I make mistakes? Are there things that I did wrong? Can I understand where the person is coming from? All those things are important, right? So, so really considering my own actions, it is important getting into a righteous battle of who's right and who's wrong. I see a lot of people go there and that is a recipe for disaster. So get out of that headspace, mm -hmm. right? Think about what happened and say, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. Let's think about this. And this is the last part I say before we go into this in headspace. And this is a good uh, track. Are you ready to have this conversation? So sometimes we have to talk to the client um, and it may not be right there. They, if they're not standing in the waiting room, we may have some time. Can you conceive of a possibility 
where maybe you could have done things differently or better or handled the situation another way? Or is there some small thing that maybe you could have uh, improved on? And if you cannot even hold that thought in your mind that that might be the case, you're probably not ready to have this conversation. You probably need a little bit more time to breathe and process. Ultimately, the, the, the last thing I want to put into my head before I go in, so hurt people hurt people. Um, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about moving forward together. And mm-hmm. the last part is what, what can I take responsibility for here? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. What can I take ownership of here? And again, that's why I love this example because you look and you're like, well, see, based on what we know, I don't need know what the veterinarian could have done differently. Mm-hmm. I think being open to anything you could take responsibility for makes this a collaborative action, right? No one wants to be, you, I think we've all had this experience where we've had a significant other or spouse and we are mad at them about something and they cross their arms and they're like, none of this is my fault. And that <laughs> makes you so mad. Mm-hmm. We all know that strategically, and now we're talking strategy, it is much better for you to say, you know what, we should have done this differently. Or, you know what, this could have been communicated more clearly. Or it could have been a communicated more uh, earlier on. Or we should have um, told you why this decision was being made right up front. Anything like that where we can take some ownership is going to help diffuse the situation and make it feel like, hey, we're in this together. I'm taking some responsibility. I'm telling you what also happened. I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. And I'm trying to do better. And I need you to work with us. Yeah. I I love that you talk about about strategy because... Um, when I when I sat down to think about this, that was where my head went. I, I've often over the years had conversations with members of my team from the front desk to the kennel staff to the doctors where they're just like, how did you do that? How did you have that? Like that client was so pissed off and now they're totally fine. Like nothing, like nothing happened. And it really is, it really is a strategy. And, and I, I think attack it, like you said, a little bit differently than you do, but, but I think that it's really important to think about, um, uh, are, am I ready for this conversation? And have I, have I done the basics to make sure that I can have this conversation? And so sometimes you have that client that is that is there physically in the practice and you you don't have a time buffer um but even still you have the capacity to stand behind a door where the client is not going to see you and take a deep breath before you go out there and have that conversation with them and i think that it is so important that you be in the right headspace before you try um addressing a situation with with an upset client yeah one of my first real mentors in business and veterinary business and she was actually a peer of mine but um but man she was she was savvy and she knew a lot early in her career she had a a saying that her father had always used and she would say you can be righteous or effective choose one and man i have found that to be true again and again in my life you can be righteous you can talk about who's right and who's wrong or 
you can go and sort this situation out to be maximally uh, productive for you. Which one do you want to do? Because they are mutually exclusive in my experience. Yeah. So. And I think, I think that, that that's where, um, that's where I'm going to open up a little with the, the Yoda, the Yoda mind tricking, um, <laughs> that I do when working with angry clients and where I see it be a challenge for, um, a lot of my team members and my peers is that it is really hard when you have an upset client, when you have an angry client, particularly if they are being abusive and they're, they are being rude and abusive to the particularly it happens a lot with the front desk staff it is very hard to not take that personal and so for the team a lot of the time it is a challenge to to not choose being righteous because they feel they feel attacked they feel like this the client has um you know usually poked out at them in some way that feels really personal and it's hard to to not want to be righteous in that moment. And um, that's a that's a really, really hard battle. And I I think that there are things that you can do to um, learn ways to control and handle situations like that that will help you um, move beyond the, the wanting to be righteous or be in the right and be able to look at it from a perspective of how do I manage this situation and how do I be most effective? Because probably 99.9 times out of 100, you, you really want to be more effective than, than it is about who's right and who's wrong, right? I think you put a great caveat there and we should just lay this on the table front. In this episode, when we're talking about angry clients, Steph and I are not talking about abuse and abusive clients because that is another, no one should be abusive to you. No one should physically threaten you. No one should use racial uh, slurs or, you know, anything of that, of that nature that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about working with someone who may be furiously angry. But we have not crossed that line into abuse. So when we cross that line of abuse, that's what we're going to talk about next week because we will yes. get there. And I do want people to have that in their toolbox. So when I say you can be righteous or effective, choose one. Obviously, choose being effective. I am not talking about you taking abuse. I'm right. talking about you dealing with someone who's really upset. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think I, I often um, get those... Um, calls and I don't. I would imagine for my veterinarians, um, and I'm sure you have probably taken some of these in in your career, Andy. Where somebody on the team is like, "Man, I've got this really upset client in the lobby, or this really upset client on the phone, and they're not listening to a word that I'm saying." Help. <laughs> cool. Right? Yeah. Let's get into. Let's let's talk strategy here. Let's talk. So we've got our headspace set. We're, we're, our strategy is we're going to empathize with this person. We really want to move them along that angry client spectrum. Even if we can't make them happy, we're going to move them and we are going to be effective, not righteous. So let's, let's talk about tactics. So let, exactly what, what you said, we've got this client. We, she's, she's in the, she's in the lobby. Let's start there. She's in the lobby and she's just not having what we're saying and she's not hearing it. Yep. How do you approach this on the ground? 
Okay. So for me, you, you hit it when you said you have to be in the right headspace and you have to be able to take control. So there's, there's a four part um, model that I learned um, from the customer service industry that has nothing to do with veterinary medicine and it's called CARP and it's C-A-R-P and it's just a really simple four step model um, that I use in uh, whenever I'm dealing with an angry or emotional client. And the first step, C stands for control. So you have to take control over the situation. And so I think in this example that we got where the client has come in and they are upset, um, the first thing that I look at is how can I take control of the situation? And when a client is in the building, my first my first thing that I always ask my team is, have you gotten them out of the lobby? And if the answer is no, go get them out of the lobby and get them into a quiet space. Absolutely. This is this is front desk training 101. It's the angry client that's in the lobby. You have got to get them out of there. And there's a couple of reasons. Is uh, Number one, this is not a productive place to have a conversation. Number two is they are affecting the experience of other clients. So now other people are like, oh, you've been in a room when people are fighting and it is uncomfortable and you just, it's, uh, it feels icky. And, and that will be the thing the other clients will remember when they leave your clinic is not how wonderful you were with their cat. It's the person who was yelling in the lobby and, oh my gosh, that must be a type of thing that happens at that vet clinic. Ooh, maybe I've just been lucky this whole time because I've never felt like that. That's one. The other reason is that when people get really mad, especially if they're irrational, they start looking for validation. So yes. they're like, I, I came in here and I thought that I could get right in and see the vet and they're turning and now they're looking <laughs> at the other people in the waiting room and they're, and they're looking for, for valid. Can you believe that they would not be able to see scruffles? Look at scruffles. Just look at his little face. Could you deny him service when he needs it? I can't believe, have you ever been denied service like that? And they're just, they're winding up and they're trying to draw the other people in. And now this is a complete disaster because they will. And you've seen, it's not every type of angry client, but there's a lot of them who will start to put on a show and they yeah. are looking for validation. And the other thing is they're trying to increase the pain. They're trying to increase the amount of pain that you feel. It's the same thing as when people are upset and they go on to Yelp and they're like, I'm going to write a one-star review so that you pay for the anger that you've caused me. I can make you pay right here in the waiting room and I'll do it by embarrassing you in front of your other clients. Mm -hmm. And so all of the, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to paint these people as villains. I think it's a common way that a lot of people feel it can happen. Don't let it happen. The first technique, get them out of the waiting room, get them into a controlled, quiet space, and then don't leave them there. I've seen the front desk freak out, put somebody in a waiting room, and then not tell the manager that they're in the waiting room or that they're yeah. in a, uh, an exam room, or they go <laughs> tell the manager, and the manager doesn't process what's going on or is not clearly told, hey, I put this person in the room. They're not told, by the way, just so you know, she's furious. And she is really losing her stuff. Uh, that should be communicated to that person is not left. But yes, a thousand percent. Get them out of the waiting room. That's step one. Yeah, and and I think your clinic needs to have um, a a process for how to how to like you said how to get how to get them out of the lobby. We call it with those those angry clients that are are looking 
for validation from your other clients, you got to remove them from their audience. And so isolating them out of the, the waiting room is the first step. And so figuring out as a team, when we have clients who especially come into the building what is the what is the plan? Are we going to put them in an exam room? And um, some clinics are like, you know, hey, our exam rooms are full non nonstop. Where then? Where do I put them? You have to identify some space. And some practices, that's your your office space. And so, um, you know, just think about what spaces you guys can use as a team, so that everybody knows the very first step. Um, when there is an upset client is to say, you know, Mrs. Jones, I would love to talk to you more about that. Um, and, and why don't we step into this exam room or go into the office space and I'll see if I can have Stephanie or Dr. Rourke come in and talk to you about it. You physically lead them while you're talking. So, um, I think it's important to, you can say, well, would you like to go into an exam room and talk about this? And I, I've seen CSRs make this mistake to put it in the form of a question. And then the client has the option to say no. <laughs> and I yeah. have watched that happen and it's a hot mess, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. and, so, and they will sometimes say no. They're like, nope, we're going to do this right yes. here in front of God and everybody. Yes, exactly. So I think, um, you know, having everybody on your team doesn't matter who it is. Everybody on your team needs to be empowered um, and know what to do and what they can say. And it can be as simple as having a one, two sentence script so that everybody knows they should say, Mrs. Jones, I understand that you are upset. Why don't we go into an exam room and you're physically leading them while you say, why don't we go into an exam room? You're not giving them a yes or no choice. And I will see if I can have XYZ, whoever is in charge of, of, of helping the next step of this equation in your practice, come in and speak to you. Yeah. It's called facilitation in uh, customer service training. And so one of the things that's so hard with angry clients is that we don't know what they're going to be angry about. It is such a case by case basis. It is hard to train for dealing with angry clients beyond what you and I are going through today. Facilitation is the one thing that you can train for. It's making sure that everybody knows what the steps are when they encounter an angry client. Where can we put these people? Just knowing to get them into a room. Who do we let know? Who's going to engage them? But it's just having a basic understanding of if there's an angry person in the room, this is how we report it. This is where it goes. This is the steps that we take. And again, they can be, like you said, a two-sentence script to help them get out of the room or the one-sentence script of, let me uh, let me take you into an exam room and I'll get Dr. Rourke in to talk with you in one moment. It's mm -hmm. just, some people may be thinking, why in the world would you need to tell people that? Trust me, it's good just to nail this skill down. Mm -hmm. I, was, uh, I was reading a biography of the legendary basketball coach, John Wooden. And this guy is teaching, uh, you know, incredible basketball players. And the first time he worked with them, he made them take off their shoes and he showed them how to put their socks on and smooth them out just the right way to reduce the risk of blisters. And a lot of people rolled their eyes. The point was we are going to start at the very fundamental, most basic level to make sure that performance is optimized and we're going to mm -hmm. build up from there. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel a lot about staff training. 
Mm-hmm. And I think um, one of the other one of the other tricks that goes along with this that that I learned was um, one of my brothers is um, a police officer, and uh, I remember having a conversation and, about this, and it really stuck with me because it had nothing to do with customer service, but everything to do with customer service at the same time. And um, so, have you ever gotten stopped for speeding? <laughs> Never, yes. <right? laughs> yes. My so- my wife has never gotten stopped, and she has told my children. That while she has never gotten stopped, your dad has been stopped before. <laughs> and they bring it up a lot. And it's been it's been <laughs> 10 plus years. And I hear about it. And that, now they're they're tall enough now that they can look over the seat, <laughs> see the dashboard. And I've got a big, I've got a big electronic display. And so they know <laughs> the speed limit is 45. And they'll be like, Dad, you're doing 51. You don't want to get another speeding ticket. I'm like, <laughs> 12 years. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Cause my kids do the exact same thing. But when you get stopped for speeding, one of the first things that the officer will do is ask you a question. So usually they'll say, do you know how fast you were going or some variation of that? Like there, there's a reason behind that. When you have someone who is likely emotional, um, it allows the person who's asking the question to kind of get an idea of how what is your what is your state of mind so for police officers they want to know you know are are you intoxicated are you are you stable do you do you sound upset um but at the same time with uh with clients asking them a question really helps you get a sense of what is what is really going on what what is their state and it also allows you to take control over the interaction when the officer asks you a question they're immediately putting themselves in control of the interaction and encouraging you to to respond to them and it made so much sense to me when we were having this having this conversation from a customer service perspective because we want to do the exact same things and so for me I like to ask a question and combine it with the next step um, in the car process which is acknowledgement and so that's the step that we were talking about er- earlier which is the empathy and the listening to the client and um, so it 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 allows you to build a bridge with them and um, acknowledge what they're feeling. And so I usually start by saying, um, you know, Mrs. Jones, I understand that you had um, a concern. And in this example that we got, you know, I understand that you were upset because we weren't able to see you and Fluffy today. So you're restating what you know about the situation and then you're asking a question. And I love an open-ended question of, can you tell me more about that? And then I shut up and I let them talk. Exactly. One of the, the thing that is most likely to increase customer satisfaction and decrease uh, the word of mouth potency is to let customers, clients, let them vent. They, the more you let them talk and get it off their chest and get their emotions out, the better they're going to feel and the better off you're going to be. And so part of the customer service uh, experience, part of dealing with angry clients is letting them vent, right? I, I always ask in my lectures, if someone is furiously angry at you, like they are so mad at you, who is the best person they can possibly tell that to? The answer is you. The answer mm-hmm. is you because you're not gonna tell anybody else. 
you're not going to go, oh, let me go spread the word about this. You're the <laughs> least likely person to twist this and tell it to their friends because it's juicy gossip. You're the least likely person to share it on your Facebook page, right? Mm -hmm. The best thing is if they're going to vent to somebody, the best thing is to vent to you. And I think we've all probably been in that place where we've had something that happened to us and we got so mad and we went and we just, we wanted to, we had to tell somebody, we've got to tell somebody. And then we tell them and we just blast them like fire hose style, rage, venom, poison. And then after that, we're just exhausted. And if we talk to our other friend, they're like, what happened? You're like, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just over it. We've all had that because we, we had to get it out and then we got it out. And then especially the first person we, we hit with the, with the vent gun, if they acknowledge what we said and we felt heard a lot of times it was like, I told someone I felt heard. I am mentally moving past this. And so letting people vent is important. I had this, uh, this old, older, it was, I'm just going to go. He was old. He was an old man. Uh, he was an old veterinarian. And one of the nicest things, and uh, I'd been doing my workshop on uh, dealing with angry clients, and he came up to me, and he said, when I started as a veterinarian, the one of the first pieces of advice I got, the first time someone got mad at me, my boss, who I worked for, he said, listen, you never interrupt an angry client. Everybody has to breathe. And... <laughs> <laughs> and what he meant was you just let them like you are going to get it. to talk you are going to get to talk do not interrupt them <laughs> let them go and when they ultimately have to come up for air you will get your chance to wade in and start to talk and lay things out but i i i love that it stuck with me all this all these years don't interrupt, never interrupt an angry client. Everyone has to breathe. I think that that's so important. And I think the other thing, because I, I am imagining some of our, our listeners whose heads are kind of exploding right now because we're like, yeah, just let them go off. Let them, let them vent. And I think that there has to be an intention and a purpose behind that. And I, I think you hit, you hit it on. Everybody has to come up and and breathe, right? So there are things that we can do while they are venting and while they are taught, or even if they're not, we say vent, I say venting jokingly, but even if they are calm and rational and, and just telling you why they are ticked off with you or your clinic, there are things that you can do and active listening skills really for, for me are key here. So, um, you know, they have to feel like you're, you're listening to them. If you sit there and you just let them vent you're not making eye contact, you're not looking interested in what they are saying. You're not encouraging them in any way. Um, you're not asking questions, then you really are just, just letting them vent and they're going to, they're going to feel that. So you have to do it in a way that is effective and, and using active listening skills, paying attention this is where, especially for my doctors, use your exam room skills. You can paraphrase what they're saying, repeat back to them what you hear them saying, chunk and check with them. You know, can I just check? You just said this thing and repeat something back to them. They have to feel like you are actually listening and that what they are saying matters to you. That is really the whole point of giving them the opportunity to talk is so that they feel heard. The number one most important point or most important part of a angry client response is attentiveness. It is what you say and how you say it and how you make that person feel. And if you make them feel heard, 
That is the number one most important piece of the whole, more important than if you give them your, their money back or you do nice things for them or you know, whatever. <laughs> There's nothing more important than do they feel like you heard them and understand them? And do they feel like you empathized and you cared? And yep. you're exactly right. If they're venting and you're <laughs> on your phone <laughs> checking email, that's bad. Um, they've, they've got to, they really do need to feel like you have put yourself in their shoes. And that's another reason why I said at the very beginning, are you in a place where you can think about what possibly you could have done differently or what, what ownership could you take in this mess? Even if it's a stretch, because mm -hmm. this is the place where those things are going to come in real handy in making them feel heard and making them feel like you care and making them feel like you're accepting some responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that, so I think they, you have to use your active listening skills and the summarizing piece of active listening skills um, comes real in handy for moving it along the process from um, the A, which is acknowledgement, to the R, which is refocusing. So I think you have to, it's fine to let them be emotional. And in fact, I think that it's necessary for them to really feel hurt, to be able to express the emotions that they're feeling. But you and your team aren't counselors. You're not therapists. And you have to move the conversation beyond the emotions. So you, the the most dangerous thing you can do is let them get stuck in, in the A phase and just vent and vent and vent. And so refocusing can be helping them move along to um, the actual um, issue so that you can help them try and solve the problem. And so there are a couple of things that you can do. Um, and and points that I want to talk about in terms of, of refocusing, which is that sometimes you have to take a break. And one of the most effective things, particularly if I have a client who's upset about um, something that, that we did or something that went wrong in the process for them. Um, in this example, you know, the client was just upset because we couldn't um, get them get them in on, on the schedule. But a lot of times I'll have a client who's upset because they think we did something wrong or, um, you know, they think that the, the, you know, technician or doctor or somebody screwed it up. And one of my favorites is to say, you know what, let me pull up your chart and let me take a look. And I am physically giving a break from their conversation, but I'm also, I'm also making them feel like I am doing something actively to try and solve their problem. So I'll say, you know, let me take a look at Dr. Ro Dr. Rourke's no notes in Fluffy's chart. I want to see, you know, what, what he saw or what was, what was going on so that I can really understand and help you fix this problem. But you're physically putting um, distance and space between their emotions um, and them, them venting and getting it out and moving them along in, in the process. Um, and then I think the other thing too, is that sometimes, um, particularly if you have a client who's bordering on the type of client where you said, um, we're not talking about the abusive and the angry clients. Sometimes you have clients that are really upset or if it's particularly emotional, I've had upset clients that are, um, you know, there's, there's been a death with a pet. And so the emotions are just uh, unreal for them and they are crying or getting to, you know, the point where we would say they're, they're hysterical. Sometimes you physically need to take a break. And so sometimes I'll say, you know what, why don't I go um, get you a cup of coffee or get you some Kleenex or whatever it is to physically let them have a little bit of a break and then 
come back to to the conversation. So don't be afraid to call a timeout and um, give them the opportunity to kind of refocus themselves because you're not a therapist. It's not your job to to deal with their emotions, but you do have to take um, control of the conversation and help them move along to the next phase, which is how do we problem solve this? How do we, how do we fix it for them? Because you, you want them to feel heard. You want them to feel like you are actually listening to them, but then ultimately the goal is what are you going to do about it? How are you going to fix it for them? So you have to move into the last step, which is P for problem solving. Yeah. My, my maneuvers here that move through uh, the refocusing into the problem solving, I, I tend to use restatement a lot, which mm-hmm. means that I've let them talk. I've asked some good open-ended questions. I understand what they're saying. I'm validating them wherever I can, which means, you know, I totally understand how frustrating it, it is to, to have a time in your schedule when you can get into the clinic and then for us to, to not be available. I, I completely understand that. And I understand that you were concerned about your pet and, and, and you wanted to get her checked out. And that's the best thing you could possibly do. And then to not be able to get in on the day that, that you felt that way. I understand that frustration. I really do. I would feel the, the same way that you do if I was in your shoes. Right. And I'm not saying I did anything wrong. I am not accepting that. I'm saying, I understand mm-hmm. your frustration. And yep. I do, I think, I think being able to say, I, totally understand why you're frustrated by that. I think it's a great way of not accepting responsibility, but still empathizing. So I'm going to go through those things, really try to validate that person. Whatever she says or he says that I can agree with, I am going to agree with. I want to show them how much we agree upon. And really what happens is when you have an angry client, you and that client, you probably agree on 80 or 90 or 95% of the things is there's a generally a very small percentage of things that you do not agree upon. Mm-hmm. Like we both agree that it would be frustrating to not be able to get into the vet when you felt like you needed to. Like we get that. We definitely agree that um, the practice is growing very fast. We've been open for eight months and we've got clients and, and it is getting definitely busier. We both agree with that. Can we both agree that uh, pets that have emergencies need to be seen and they take precedence I, you know, in good conscience, we can't leave emergencies, you know, pets that are hit by a car, pets that, pets that, you know, need immediate surgery. We, we can't ignore those pets. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that you understand that or you feel that way as well. And now I'm just laying down things that we can agree on. And now mm-hmm. we're going to swing around and talk about the part we don't. So commonality, when I go into re- restatement, what I'm going to say is, so it sounds like to me, the part that was really upsetting for you was blank. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that true? And if so, can we talk about either fixing it for next time? And a lot of times that's what they want too, is not even for you to do something now, but for you to say, you know what? I hear what you said. I am going to do what I can to make sure this doesn't happen again in the future to other people. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how often that is what they want. And that is enough. And that will really solve the problem of not doing anything for that person, but mm-hmm. just making them know, you know what, you're right. That is an issue. And I don't want it to happen again. And we're going to figure out how to prevent it or how to reduce the chance of it happening. Mm-hmm. And so when I restate to them, the thing that was most problematic was this. Can we talk about ways to try to make this right or make this better? That's how I make that that movement over to problem solving is tell them their words back, 
and then propose a solution. So would it be okay if we uh, did something like this? Or would you be open to me doing this? Would it be helpful if we did this? And it can be whatever you want. It can be a discount. It can be a refund. I, and let me just say here, I rarely, rarely, rarely give discount or refunds. I do not remember the last time I gave someone their money back. There are people who will demand their money back. And if they're demanding their money back, they're not going to be happy unless you give them their money back. Like mm-hmm. that, that's just what it is. But I want to point out and reemphasize how rare that really is. A lot of times when someone gets mad, we think they want their money back. And they'll even say, it's not about the money. It's about their feeling of injustice. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And mm-hmm. so get that. It is not wrong to say, what I'm hearing from you is this. And I definitely understand this problem. What can we do to try to make this right? Or what can we do to try to make this better? And then ask them. Mm-hmm. Ask them if there's something that they're looking for. The worst case is they say, I need the keys to your car. <laughs> and you can, or, or something completely <laughs> equally unrealistic. And you'll say, I totally understand why uh, you would want that. Uh, I, I, I totally understand that. I don't think that that's going to be possible. Is there something else that we could do? Mm-hmm. And then they'll ask for your child and you will give your child to them because <laughs> child care is expensive. And we all know we want to just offload that burden. Uh, yes. And because the Rourke girls are the cutest, cutest kids on the, the planet. The, <laughs> and why would no, why would people not want them? <laughs> the Rourke girls are pretty great. I gotta say. No, I, I totally agree. And the, the only thing that I would add to your process is that, that I also, um, I would ask them if there was anything else. Um, and then I would also state what I can do for them. So I might not be able to give them what they want, but I, I definitely want to make sure to end with, here's what I can do for you. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be conceding. I'm not necessarily going to give their money back. And in fact, I would I would argue and say, like you, I rarely do. But I do want to give them some sort of resolution. And so it can be something like, you know, I am going to um, talk to the whole team and make sure that we're all on the same page and they understand that our expectation for customer service is not the level of service that you received today or whatever it is that the the issue is. Um, They just a lot of the time they want to feel heard and they want to make sure that the situation is not going to repeat itself for themselves or for other people. I think you you hit that right squarely on the head there. And and I would say the piece that I layer in here in the problem-solving phase, and this is probably going to blow some of your minds, so hang on for a second. Um, I, I start with an apology um, every single time because um, I, I learned from a mentor early on in my career um, one of the lessons like you that stuck with me, and it is that an apology isn't about blame and it isn't about admitting error. And a lot of times I think we're so stubborn as human beings and afraid to give an apology because we feel like if we apologize, we are admitting that we screwed something up or that we were wrong um, or that we are accepting blame in some way. But it it doesn't have to be about those things. You can apologize for the effect that the situation had on someone there is nothing wrong with that. So in this case, the client came in, she was upset about her pet. She was worried. She wanted to be seen and she wasn't 
able to be seen. And so you can absolutely apologize for the effect of that. And so it, I thought a lot about what I would say to to this client. And I would probably say something like this. I think there's there's really two options. If the client is there in your lobby and you're telling them that they can't be seen right then and there, I would probably say something like, you know, Mrs. Jones, I know that you're worried about Fluffy. I can see how much she matters to you. I'm worried about her too. I think that the best course of action would be for you to take her over to the emergency center and be seen on emergency. That way they can assess her immediately and work with you to, to make a plan for her care and her needs. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry that um, we can't fit you into the schedule today. I hope that you can understand. And I really want to make sure at the same time that we're doing the best thing we can for Fluffy. And so I really feel like the best thing for you to do would be to take her over to the ER. There's nothing in that that means that we did anything wrong. I'm still standing by my boundaries. I'm not taking another patient onto to the schedule when we are already overloaded. But by Offering an apology to a client, it for me has been kind of that that magic um, magic tool in my toolbox where I can help diffuse the anger for a client from a ten down into a reasonable under five range. Because when you, as a human being, hear an apology from another person, it um, immediately makes you feel heard. And it does it in a way that doesn't necessarily have to validate them or validate the behavior, but it really just kind of helps um, diffuse things. And so I I would do the exact same conversation if they were not there and it was after the fact, but I would just refer to to the situation um, itself and say, you know, when you came in yesterday, I know that you were really worried. I know, um, you know, that you wanted to make sure that she was taken care of. I do too. I mean, you, you want to be able to empathize with them. Um, and at the same time, you're not changing your mind you're not you're not conceding you're not um giving in and that's where a little bit um it goes back to what you were talking about Andy with the how am I gonna who's right or who's wrong and it's it's not really about winning the the argument but you um don't have to change your mind you don't have to to um change your go back on a decision you don't even have to necessarily give them their money back but you can you can apologize for the impact that it had and not for the action itself. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I, uh, I start talking about, about apology and again, this trips the, the righteousness in a lot of people's minds and people would even say they would for a while, and this is no longer true for a while. People would say based on human healthcare if we apologize, then we're admitting guilt and we can be sued. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, that's true. If you apologize, then it may be interpreted as guilt and you may get sued. If you don't apologize, you're a whole lot like more <laughs> likely to need a lawyer than, than if you do. And what has since happened was in human healthcare, that has gone away because doctors were getting sued all the time because they didn't apologize and people would just get more mad and it would lead to these lawsuits where if you say, if you just, t- you know, empathize with them and you weren't so guarded about what you said because you were about getting sued, we could talk this person into a more reasonable headspace. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's true. I, 
usually coach apologizing for two things. Because some people say, I am not apologizing because I didn't do anything wrong. We can apologize for the pet owner's experience. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, here's the truth, right? And you, you have to get in the right headspace to see this. Guys, if this is my clinic, I don't want somebody coming in and they're trying to get health care for their pet and they get turned away. Yeah, I, I don't want that. I, that's not how this is supposed to go. I don't want you to put your pet in a car and say, Dr. Rourke's going to take care of us because he always does. And then you drive all the way down and then I'm completely unavailable to see you. I don't want that. I'm not saying that I did anything wrong. I, I'm not saying that because I didn't do anything wrong. It is wildly unfortunate, but it still sucks. And so I'm going to apologize for that to that client and say, look, I never want you to drive down here and not be able to get seen. Like, I am mm -hmm. really sorry that that happened. I don't mm -hmm. like that. That's not how things are supposed to be here. And, mm -hmm. and I feel awful about it. And all of those things are 100% true. And none of them mean that I did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that's apologizing for the pet owner's experience. The other part is when we talked about headspace and strategy at the very beginning, what ownership can I take of this mess? <laughs> and I may end up saying, look, I am really sorry. I am sorry that this was not communicated clearly to you. I am sorry that, that we didn't let you know when you called to ask about, you know, ask for advice that, that you would need an appointment to get in. We should have let you know, and we should have been more clear about what was going on here. And I'm really sorry for that. And again, these are things that I have decided I can take ownership of this mm -hmm. little piece. Maybe mm -hmm. you and I are in disagreement over other big pieces, but I'm going to take ownership of, of all of this that I can, and I will apologize to you for the things that I take ownership of. So you're still getting an apology. You're still getting to hear validation, but I also don't feel like I'm being dishonest and apologizing for things that I'm not sorry for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's <laughs> we're... Um talking about the work girls, I, I think about it the same way that I do with my kids. Um, and, and I do that, that do that a lot. And I think those of you who are parents in vet med will understand this. Like with my kids, I, um, give them choices. They may not like the choices, but I'm still giving them two choices. And so I do the exact same thing with my clients. And in this case, I would probably ask the client something like, would it be acceptable to offer them um, an ER appointment like this doctor did, see them on emergency or a drop off? They may not like either choice that I'm giving them, but I'm still giving them two choices and I'm making them an active participation in the problem solving step of the, the solution, um, which I think is super important. And then the other thing that I think about this whole process to kind of wrap it up and tie it all together is you have this four step process that, that I work through. And I think the most important thing when I'm teaching um, this, when I, when I learned it and when I'm teaching it to my team is that especially my black and white um, CSRs who are super methodical and want things done in an order. They want to go from step one to step two to step three to step four. You have to understand that human communication doesn't work that way. And so in, especially with an angry client conversation, there are a lot of times where I am jumping back and forth from step T C to step R and A and P. It doesn't go in order, um, but I'm using all four steps of the model throughout the process. And so 
you have to be willing to be flexible in a problem-solving conversation like this with a client because if you try and approach it very methodically, it will often not go very well. Agreed. Great. I love this episode. I really, really do. I'm glad we got to do this. I think this is a skill that a lot of people uh, would like training on, and so I'm glad that we laid everything out. Gang, if you have other issues you wish that we would tackle, shoot us an email. It's podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. Let us know what's going on. Steph and I are here for you. We'd love to help. Next week, we're going to unpack when and how to fire clients. And we're going to talk about what happens when people cross that line into abuse. It will be a good one. I think that this is uh, going to be an episode that's going to be helpful for a lot of people as well. So super happy with uh, our conversation today. Thanks, Steph, for your time. As yeah. always, it's a pleasure. You're a gift. This is this is a lot of fun. I hope it was helpful for you guys. And I'm I'm very much looking forward to talking about the second half next week. All right. See you then. Have a good one.